every Friday morning to round out uh, the guest list for the week. Our good buddy Yael Osowski with the Consumer Choice Center joins us. Uh, the Consumer Choice Radio Program airs at 10 o'clock uh, Saturday mornings uh, right here on the Big Talker FM. Yael, it's a pleasure, my friend. I hope all is well in your neck of the woods across the pond uh, today as we speak with you. Good morning, friend. Yes, sir. It's great to know that uh, so much money is being spent there in D.C. in our name. So that just makes me feel uh, pretty good. But uh, apart from that, got a brand new car in the driveway, got a baby on the way, as you mentioned, and uh, things are looking up. So I'm, I'm at least happy about that. For you. And, uh, you know, I talked to yesterday with uh, some of the ladies from uh, Just Think, the podcast. Uh, they you know, host uh, their podcast uh, you know, a couple times a week here in our studios now and uh, at 11 a.m. following your program. And, uh, you know, it's amazing when you, you know, fade away. And, you know, we want to pay attention. We want to be civically engaged. And uh, we want to be informed to know what, you know, our quote-unquote elected leaders are doing. And, uh, you know, with that being said, it's oftentimes the case when you break away from the news cycle, uh, when you hone in on the important things in life, uh, not to say that these things aren't important, but when you look at uh, you know, your loved ones, uh, some of the personal decisions you're making, a purchase like a new vehicle, a baby on the way, it's amazing how quickly you know, you, your spirits can be changed when it comes to the doom and gloom that you see coming out of Washington and the ridiculous uh, ways in which they quote-unquote lead uh, yet inside your home and many others like it, uh, you know, all is well. There is hope. Uh, there is, uh, you know, uh, a life uh, that, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily get shown uh, day to day when you flip on the boob tube and, uh, you know, catch up on the news cycle. And I think that's really the main reason why we do what we do every day anyway, Joe, at least for, for myself and for you, I know. You know, we talk about these ideas. We try to come up with the big solutions and we do so so that we can enjoy our freedom in our free time and we can have a good and prosperous life so as long as i'm you know fighting for that monday to friday you know however many hours a day i'd say it's much more than 40 at this point but if we're doing that every single day then we know that you know when we take breaks when we're with our families when we're with our kids we can actually sit down and say yes i was fighting for that better world and now i'm enjoying the fruits of that labor and I think there's a lot of people who do that each and every day. I think that's why we punch in and punch out. And we should be able to do so. You know, life is not all about politics. It's not all about, you know, whatever vote is coming up. All of that is important and it matters. But it matters because we want to preserve that free part of our lives where we don't have to deal with it. You know, we're a great republic because not everybody has to be super involved in the ongoing workings of government because it's supposed to be limited. That's the ideal that we're always working towards. Doesn't mean that we have that necessarily today, but at least we're working towards it each and every day, right? It seems as if, though, you know, those who have the decision rights, those who you know, yield that power or you know, control a message in one way, shape or form, it seems as if uh, you know, their intention is to create the divide between you know, me and the person who lives next door to me based on what you look like, where you come from, your different experiences in life. Uh, yet I played a clip of an NBA player just a little while ago, his name Jonathan Isaac, as he talked uh, you know, at the end uh, explaining why he's a little hesitant on the vaccine still, but talked at the end. You know about loving thy neighbor. Uh, you know uh, one of the basic tenets of uh, you know Christianity in our society. In that uh, you know it's not only loving people who look like you or think like you. It's oftentimes loving people who don't look like you and don't think like you. And if we had that sort of mindset day to day, you know a lot of these other problems or uh, this 
the, the media stir and the stir coming from Washington and elsewhere, you know, wouldn't be so loud. Yeah, one thing that, you know, our founding fathers were big believers in and big followers of is they really loved a lot of Greek and Roman philosophers. And a lot of the Greek philosophers, specifically if you go back to Aristotle, he talked about tolerance. Tolerance is like a very top virtue. And we don't have that in any sort of, you know, legislative documents. It's not necessarily in the Constitution, but it sort of is a foundational layer to how our society is constructed. We tolerate people who will have different opinions. We tolerate people who have different religions, not in a way that they're, they're so repugnant that we have to tolerate them, but more that we live in one society and we should be able to expect those differences and embrace those differences where necessary, but still respect others, leave people their liberties, and then we just continue on with our day. And I think that tolerance really means that we cannot be willing to always use the hammer of government for every single issue that might come up. There's a lot of problems, Joe, that you and I talk about each and every day. There are a lot of problems that people bring up and discuss, but it doesn't mean that the answer always will be, this must be solved by the tax office or the North Carolina Alcohol Beverage Commission, right? It, it doesn't have to be solved by government entities. Most of the time, it can be solved by civil society, by families, by communities, and it's that kind of private society, that civil society, that so many people have looked upon the United States and said, wow, they're able to do so much, and they don't have to have a dictator. They don't have to have a government regime telling them to do this and that. They actually can police themselves. They can actually take care of themselves. And that's why every time there's a huge natural disaster throughout the world, the number one people at the list who are giving money, who are giving aid, who are sending volunteers— are Americans. And a lot of people recognize that. And it's sort of a hidden part of our of our nature, of our, you know, of our republic that we don't even talk about enough. And I think there, there probably should be a lot more praise there. Well, why is it then that it seems as if uh, those uh, with the centralized power uh, want to, to uh, inject government into every aspect of our lives? It comes down to a philosophical thing. You know, there's a crazy thing that happened here, Joe, and I know your listeners would be outraged. Uh, a city not far from Vienna. It's called Graz. It's Graz. the second biggest city. And they just elected a mayor, no joke, from the Communist Party. <laughs> now, in, in Austria. <laughs> in Austria, yes. It, it's an outrage, uh, A. <laughs> B, uh, anachronistic. Uh, C, very offensive to anyone who's actually been a victim of communism, and there are uh, hundreds of millions <laughs> throughout the world. But really what that shows is there are a lot of people who are willing to take that next level of there must be a public sphere of which we are all a part that takes care of us all. And that Communist Party uh, there in that part of Austria, why they became popular is they're always talking about housing, housing is human right, we should never pay X amount per month in rent. And that kind of resonated with people because generally housing sucks. It's hard. It's difficult. Inflation means that stuff is going through the roof. But I think most of us who are critical out it say, well, actually, government created those problems, has created the inflation, has made it so that the people who are building homes have to pay more for the products that they have. It means that the purchasing power of the dollar is much less. So instead of realizing that government has created the problem, they see government as a solution to that problem, when really it's essentially your neighbor comes over and breaks your window and then you ask them to fix it. It's exactly the same thing. And I think a lot of people... Um, it takes on sort of a religious base, and I don't normally make this point, but the loss in religious culture that we've had, particularly among uh, millennials and even Generation X, 
really means that people have replaced ordinary traditional religions and communities with secularism, with government, with thoughts about what the state should do. Most people are very independent, and that's why you know it's great to, to be able to listen to talk radio and to have great programs like yours, also programs that come on after, where we actually highlight the stories of individuals and entrepreneurs who kind of buck that narrative. So I think these are the people that are helping fight against it, but still you do have people who come from the university, people who are taught that the state is this uh, huge being that is supposed to take care of everyone else, when in reality... We know we are there to protect ourselves, we're there to protect our rights and protect those of our families. It's not necessarily up to some benevolent government, because as we know, every four years, every two years, it'll change. You'll never have majority power. That's why it's important that we live in a republic where minorities minorities are protected, not just in terms of ethnicities, but also in the way that we think. Well, of course, uh, you know there are efforts and uh, ideas that have been floated out there that have garnered a lot of support that would take uh, that sort of aspect of our country, a unique thing in what we do away, right? As far as uh, minorities having a voice, smaller states having uh, you know equal representation as others in certain bodies of government, uh, there are efforts out there to change that. Oh, yeah. And there's, uh, I mean, not that I recommend anybody to read the opinion section of the New York Times, but, you know, that those pages are filled. And there's an argument today about how, in all of the legislative chambers, it should just be majority rule. You know, that's it. We'll just have 51% that will you know, decide everything. Of course, they make this argument right now when it is a Democratic administration, a Democratic House, and Democratic Senate, but they'll change their tune immediately come the next round when it happens to be the other team. And I think that's why we have to be the majority of Americans to say it's not about having Team A or Team B. It's about limiting the power of the institution itself so that we are more free to enjoy our lives. We have more disposable income to buy all the things that we need and want for our families. And I, I think that's a message that does resonate with people. It's why you have alternative media. It's why you have social media. People just have more trust in their neighbors and the people they're able to talk to than uh, some of the hoity-toity or the intelligentsia, uh, if we can use that term, uh, who pretend to, to know what's right for us. I mean, you know, maybe we're a little too hard on the, the elites up there in Washington, D.C. and their little bubble. I mean, maybe we should give them a pat on the back today, Yael, because they were able to come together facing a deadline and headlines that the government was going to be shut down unless we raise the debt limit and fund, uh, you know, with the federal government. Uh, I mean, they, they did it. I mean, congratulations. They did it, and they you know, had plenty of time, but they had to wait until the last uh, minute, the 11th hour, and they did it for another three months. Yael, I mean, that is what we call the epitome of leadership. It really, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, if any of us returned a report with those results in school, we would all be flunked. <laughs> so, you know, your, your entire goal when you're up there is obviously to represent the interest of your constituents, but it's also to make government work, to understand how the budget process is. And there's just a lot of this stuff that's done for the cameras. I mean, we saw that with a lot of the political factions. It's all for the cameras. If you didn't have C-SPAN, if you didn't have people, you know, showing what they're saying in the House, most of that would go away. A lot of it has to do with what they can post on Instagram later, what they can post on social media later saying, yeah, I'm fighting for you. When, come on, guys, let, let just, just get serious about it. You make a lot of money to go up there. You know, let's let's view politicians not as overlords. We just temporarily send them to Washington to make some decisions, good or bad. They come back every few years, try to get elected. If you did not do well, well, you flunk. 
and you're not going back. And maybe it's time to send someone new up there. Yeah, we just need uh, more people, I think, to pay attention rather than just keep their heads uh, buried in the sand, particularly you know, within districts uh, where you have uh, you know these long-standing politicians, you know, the Schumers, the Pelosi's, and uh, many on the Republican side. You know, these heavy, uh, you know, partisan districts. Uh, I mean, these people get embedded in, and then uh, you know you, you never get them out uh, because uh, of the, the 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 cushion that they have built in and the. You know, basically, the, the the army of people they're able to build within these districts uh, to solidify you know their reelection hopes year after year after year after decade, and uh, you know pretty much my entire lifetime in some cases, uh, like the president of the United States, for instance. Yeah, well, that's true. That the careerism aspect is definitely a problem. I think term limits are probably an appropriate thing to to discuss. One thing I really like though is I do like there are a good number of Democrats. Who are actually very pro-market. We like to call them the market Dems. These are people who like uh, free enterprise. They like they like entrepreneurship. They just tend to be more socially liberal, which is you know that's that's all well and good. I'd probably put myself in that camp. Uh, an example I'm thinking of is Colorado uh, Governor Jared Polis, uh, who used to be a senator. Big old market Dem. This guy is you know wealthy entrepreneur, businessman. Went into politics. And he understands that we do need to have low taxes. We do need to have uh, consumers with disposable income. We do need to have competition. Um, so thankfully in Colorado, he's actually uh, keeping up some of the interesting battles. He's actually uh, siding with a lot of the Republicans there. And it's actually going uh, fairly well, not like our situation in North Carolina, unfortunately. But it, I think this kind of stuff where we see people rising out of those party labels and are actually representing good fundamental American ideas, that's something that's pretty cool. Because then we're not just talking about R&Ds anymore. We're actually talking about people who understand ideas that make our societies better, that make our lives freer. And those labels eventually are going to change. You know, if we remember the Republicans and the Democrats, whatever these parties are, they've switched 18,000 times in whatever, 200 years. It could switch again. And, you know, maybe it could be a third party or something else. You know, where I'm living right now, there are parties that are coming up out of the blue each and every day that are changing that are coming up, that are gaining power. Uh, that's it's it's something you know a bit interesting. I know we're we're set in our ways, kind of, as Americans and having two major parties. Uh, but you never know; these things could change. I think with social media, with more people branching out, talking to others, we have more opportunities for that. It's not just about the people in the back room chomping down cigars, deciding what our our lives will be for the next ten years. Well, I think that there's some proof in that here in North Carolina, as uh, you know, unaffiliated voters uh, you know, make up uh, you know, a good chunk of uh, the voter rolls here in the state. In fact, you see more and more people fleeing uh, the the two major political parties uh, to register unaffiliated. And it happens almost on a weekly basis uh, based on some of the numbers that are tracked by groups like uh, the John Locke Foundation and others uh, that uh, you know follow this type of news uh, uh, day to day. And when you talk about Yael, people who are interesting in not uh, being a hook, line, and sinker and a complete partisan, uh, yeah, Manchin gets a lot of love uh, these days uh, because of uh, where he is uh, with the, all these uh, uh, pieces of legislation, but also the... Uh, the senator from Arizona, Kristen Cinema. You know, some on the right say, well, she's been a surprise. And, and uh, you know, I would say if you followed her career, given that I've got some ties to Arizona, uh, Senator Cinema, a, a bisexual a former Green Party member, uh, while she was serving as a legislature within the state of Arizona, uh, she was very much the same as she is today. You know, not afraid to to buck the the party or push back against uh, you know things that. Uh, some people would think she'd be aligned with, uh, and uh, she's been a, 
I think a pleasant surprise to some out there in uh, in in the world in the country. You know, as far as her willingness to to fight back against uh, you know that partisan narrative. Yeah, and I think Arizona is a, is a purple state. You know, they've been electing Democrats and Republicans now. They have two Democratic senators, uh, but that doesn't mean that necessarily it's all Democrat liberal one hundred percent. I think she understands more the voting population of Arizona. It is a fairly old population. It's more of a conservative population. And I think if we ever saw, you know, a day where we had a, another Democratic senator from North Carolina, uh, not that I'm liking any of the candidates this go around, uh, but I think they would also, I'm not saying they would play the role of Joe Manchin, but they would have to understand, you know, this is a state that has voted for Trump, that has voted um, you know, Republican in large swaths has also voted for Obama. So there are, there are, you know, that's why North Carolina is an interesting place. We don't necessarily 100% swing one way or the other. And even if we did have a Democratic senator, they would have to make amends. They couldn't up there and, and go all AOC. They would have to be a bit more the, the Christian cinema type of politician, understanding that you're representing a very diverse group of people, not just in the way they look, but also how they think. And I think that that's, it's somewhat good. You know, it means that good good ideas are put forward, bad ideas are down. I mean, if we had a senator who went up there and just said, I defeated every bad idea on the Hill, I'd vote for that guy a thousand times over. <laughs> That's much better than people who have the loftiest, grandest plans that they've cooked up, you know, with all their buddies in the back. It's a lot better to see bad legislation die than really hope for one small piece of good legislation to go forward. And, uh, you know, on that note, you kind of see that here in North Carolina with the Senator Tillis, for instance. And I know I might get, uh, you know, ruffle some feathers to those who, who sit on the far right of the political spectrum and, uh, you know, don't think Senator Tillis is conservative enough on this, that or the other. Uh, but he's one that plays the game, too, and has bucked his own party on several occasions uh, to the chagrin of, uh, you know, many here in the Tar Heel State. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, this guy's a political operator, you know headed up General Assembly. He was the speaker there. He, he, he knows the games of this and understands that you might have different people uh, in Asheville. You might have different people in Wilmington, different people in Charlotte and throughout rural North Carolina. So there's all types of different considerations there. And I think we can have the two different types of models. You know, that, that goes back to Edmund Burke, the conservative philosopher. You have the delegate model of government where essentially it's just this is the person that we're sending because they represent us or the trustee model. The idea that we send them there because we just trust their judgment and we know they'll make good decisions. And it's good to have a little bit of element of both uh, because Tom Tillis knows if he does anything, he'll, he'll get you know burnt from the right. Uh, basically anything he does, he'll get burnt from the left. So, so he, he's got to find the, you know, a good line to do it. And there's plenty of things to criticize him for. Um, you know, a lot of people who, who played the Trump card later in the game were all against Trump in the beginning. You always have to be a bit skeptical of that. Uh, but overall, I think the way that North Carolina is growing, particularly in Wilmington, the way that the entire state it has more gravitas on the national scene, I'm, I'm actually very hopeful for there. So, uh, and, and my vote still counts in North Carolina, by the way, Joe. So I'm, I'm, still, uh, I'm still in this game, too. Don't worry. Cabarrus County, uh, uh, Patrick McHenry, uh, congressional uh, voter, huh? No, well, he, oh. he's over there in Gastonia, oh, okay. but I, I do like him a lot. He's a big Bitcoin guy. I know. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, my, my part is Richard Hudson. I okay. mean, Cabarrus County outside of Charlotte is still fairly Republican, uh, big NASCAR area, but, you know, right outside of Charlotte, which is, you know, one of the most liberal places in the state. So I, I like that balance. It makes for very good breweries. And it makes for, you know, great uh, you know, uh, back and forth. Uh, you know, makes for great 
information and entertainment that you get on stations like this and elsewhere across our state because there's always a conversation to be had. It's not like uh, you're sort of a lost cause uh, like a state in New York or New Jersey where you know your voice uh, uh, may be heard, but it's not really counted when it comes down to the representation that you have, uh, whether it be in your state legislature or up uh, in uh, Washington, D.C., Yael, speaking of Washington, D.C., this week, uh, you know, tech, uh, big tech uh, back in front of our lawmakers. And once again, I think it was what Blumenthal out of Connecticut, who made just a complete fool of himself. Uh, and he tried to get into the inner workings of Facebook. And, uh, well, uh, you thought lying about your role in the, the Vietnam War was bad. Well, he looked uh, incredibly stupid over the uh, last few days when he was questioning about, uh, you know, some terminology that is basically uh, uh, allotting to the fake accounts that pop up on Facebook. And he was asking if Facebook can ban these sorts of things. And uh, you know, it was just uh, once again showing how just out of touch uh, the insiders are in Washington, D.C. with things that you and I play with uh, day to day. Now, Blumenthal is, I think he is probably one of the worst, <laughs> the worst. senators. Yeah. Uh, one of the bigger things, he actually had this this bill or this amendment a couple of years ago called the Fair Fees Act. And that was one where he said, okay, we're going to put a limit on all the bag charges. We're going to dictate from D.C. what the various bag charges should be on airplanes. That was actually one of the first campaigns that we ran at Consumer Choice Center. Thankfully, it was defeated uh, because basically all those low-budget airlines that many people use would essentially go out of business. Uh, but what in this hearing, I mean, just absolutely ridiculous. This guy knows absolutely nothing. He was asking about these fake Instagram accounts that young people have. I know uh, my younger sibling, she definitely has one. It's just a fake one that you do with your friends, and it's kind of like inside jokes or whatever. He made it seem as if it was some program within Instagram or Facebook where people sign up for this Finsta thing. <laughs> and he's like, are you going to do away with this Finsta program? And the head of the the policy at Instagram just was was just befuddled. I mean, she obviously has to keep up a role. She has to play nice with legislators, basically saying like, uh, Senator, uh, that's actually not a program that we have. That's uh, just slang that you know the the young cool people are using nowadays. Uh, but he was obviously unfazed, wasn't listening. Just these are not the people that we want regulating our social media networks. They don't know anything. Uh, maybe they sent a friend request once in their lives, but you know, these people don't engage online the way that you and I do. So let's uh, let's take a step back. Let's choose the best things as consumers, as users of these platforms, and not let's not make the decisions up there in D.C. because we know whatever it is, it'll be a bad one. So you're telling me Carlos Danger and Pierre Delecto, uh, not necessarily uh, uh, household names in Senator Blumenthal's uh, Twitter feed. Uh, no, I, I mean, he might have liked some of the things that Carlos Danger was putting out there or retweeted him. But, uh, yeah, I don't think uh, he, he's too knowledgeable about this stuff. Usually his staff will probably print yeah. it out and uh, put it out on his desk in the morning when he gets there. All right. Yeah, yeah. Before I let you go, just quickly, you know, obviously the news this week in Washington, in addition to that uh, you know, tech testimony that we heard yesterday, infrastructure, $3.5 trillion, the reconciliation bill, uh, just a a complete mess. It wouldn't surprise me. They're at odds today, 11 o'clock Saturday night. Uh, something gets passed uh, in the middle of the night on a weekend, uh, you know, as the American people sleep, as the Washington Post uh, says, uh, democracy dies in, in darkness. Uh, uh, what do you make of uh, this spat and the, some of this uh, legislation? Everything and the kitchen sink on the table right now in D.C. It's such inside baseball. It's ridiculous. You know, it's all these, oh, we were promised that if we pass this bill, then our bill would go up. And there's uh, many progressive lawmakers, per, uh, you know, the head of the progressive caucus saying, we're not going to vote for the thing that 
is bipartisan, the infrastructure bill, because we want this huge $3.5 trillion. I mean, these numbers are just astronomical, A. (laughs) B, uh, all of this stuff is really a lot of shenanigans. And the infrastructure bill has been called many things. I know it has bipartisan support from some Republican senators, uh, but it's still very bogus in its own way. I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars for the federal government to control what is happening with our broadband and our internet. There's actually, I read this today, a lot of money, uh, it's essentially $60,000 for any local community newspaper uh, that can sign up through this infrastructure bill. Obviously, these people are always going to be very critical of the federal government, uh, (laughs) right? Uh, If you're getting a big check uh, from the government to do your your free press, uh, that I find very troublesome. I haven't seen too much reporting otherwise. But there's all these kinds of nuggets, and it's the same with the TARP bill for many years ago that was passed. It all seems well and good, and there's great intentions, and there's a lot of money, but the money's going to end up being misallocated. That money's going to end up in some somebody's pocket who's well and politically connected, and it's not going to help you or me. The best way they can help us reduce our taxes, get out of the way, make these regulations less the concern of our everyday lives, and let us get back to enjoying our freedom, Joe. It's Freedom Friday. Don't we know? Well, yeah, we will certainly be enjoying it here in about 90 seconds uh, as we head into uh, another great weekend across the Cape Fear region. Uh, Yael, it's a pleasure, my friend. Enjoy the new car. We wish you well if the time comes between now and next Friday when you will welcome uh, a Sowski baby number two uh, to the family. Uh, good luck, my friend. Thank you so much, Joe. All the best, and until next week. Well wishes uh, to the Osowskis out there in uh, Vienna, Austria, as we catch up with our friends from the Consumer Choice Center each and every Friday during this time. 